Hello and welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. This week on the show, we bring you a conversation between leaders at the Ikubo 2017 annual meeting in Pittsburgh. The subject, reimagining the university budgeting and planning process. Our own Howard Tybal interviews senior administrative leaders from Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, George Mason University, and Barnard College. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, check your show notes for a direct link to the episode on YouTube. There you'll find the presentation visuals that accompany this panel discussion. The conversation runs about an hour, and the collective lessons of our panel provide some truly rich insight into this key element of our work. We hope you get as much out of the discussion as we did. And now we'll turn it over to Ikubo Board Chair Lynn Schaefer to introduce the panel. everyone. Love seeing all these faces here first thing in the morning. So welcome to an entire half day of focusing on strategy and resource allocation. So this morning's session is connecting strategy and resource allocation through the budget process. How do we do that? How do we do that so that we can move our institutions forward? We are so fortunate to have three of our colleagues on this um, stage here to share their wisdom and to have a conversation with you. We have J.J. Davis from George Mason University, Mike Gower from Rutgers, the University of New Jersey, and the State University of New Jersey, and Rob Goldberg from Barnard College. And facilitating today's, this morning's session is Howard Teibel from Teibel, Inc. So with no further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our colleagues. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, the title here gets you in your seats, right? Titles are really important because it's like, okay, that looks interesting. But because there's breakouts today, we're going to um, lift the conversation up uh, to a to level strategy, 30,000 feet. So... I think the title really is, uh, or the conversation we have been preparing for, is reimagining budget and planning. And reimagining is really about looking into the future, right? You're going to have an opportunity to self-select into those sessions afterwards to get into the details. But we're prepared to have a conversation and a dialogue about that. Now, I want to prepare you for, I let them know that I'm going to be interrupting them. I'm going to be making sure that we keep this engaging. They gave me permission to do this, so I just want you to know, don't think I'm being rude when I say, what's your point? This is my way of getting them to really step into what is, because often we'll, the first thing we'll say will be, the, will be an explanation, and then when we get into the next thing, it's the, really the thing we want to we reveal. As, as uh, Lynn just shared, here are our three uh, really courageous and honored guests to be here, and from George Mason, Rutgers, and Barnard. And the question I'm going to ask the three of you out of the gate is, what is the most distinctive thing about your institution? JJ. So um, we're located outside of Washington, D.C. in Fairfax, Virginia. Uh, long story short, uh, less than 50 years old, transformed it into a doctoral R1 comprehensive 36,000 students on its way to 40,000. No disparity in outcomes and uh, more than 50% uh, diverse in terms of student body. And um, one in three is first gen. Nice. Mike. Uh, I think the most distinctive thing about Rutgers right now is that it, the, the new Rutgers is the product of the largest merger in higher education between the, what I call the old Rutgers and the University of Medicine Dentistry of New Jersey. Uh, that has been a journey uh, of, of quite a number of years now, but quite a journey as well in terms of creating a new integrated place that, that one would hope is all aligned and perfect and, and working together and such. And of course, as, we as know in the, the case of mergers, <laughs> as in the case of even corporate mergers, it does not work that way. That's right. So it's, it's quite an interesting place because that's never been done before, that Ro scale. Thank you. Robert. So Barnard is a women's college. Uh, it's affiliated with Columbia University, so we're a small liberal arts college 
located in the heart of New York City um, and affiliated with a major research university. So I think we're distinct, and I think we're most distinct in the country for that particular uh, sector. So women's college, small liberal arts, research university in the heart of New York City. I think that's what makes us distinct. Very cool. So uh, just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm an advisor to education leaders like yourselves and uh, the individuals up here. I've been working with many of your institutions over the years. I look out the room with lots of friends. Uh, and advisors around strategy, advisor around uh, culture. What's big today, what's interesting is your world's evolving, my world's evolving. The conversations today is really about culture. It's really about how can we innovate. Uh, and then we also have workshops, retreats, and help with strategy. So if you're interested, please uh, reach out to me. So I want to just uh, level set something. And I, and I had shared something with this group this morning, a book that um, I gave each of them. And it's about mood. And I just want you to settle into something here just to be conscious of something. I love this opening quote from this book. If we become sensitive to our moods, we may be able to open the curtains and observe how we see things and discover whether our automatic predispositions help us achieve our objectives or not. And these are examples of moods, if you look up here. You know, when I, list, when I talk to business officers, when I talk to presidents, there's often a mood at times of we're going to really show ambition, but there's also a background mood sometimes of resignation, a mood of skepticism. And even this morning in our conversation, I think, that, I think that we can find ourselves in a mood or find ourselves, fall into a mood of resignation. So I'm curious about something because you, as a leader, you didn't know I was going to ask you this question. As a leader, He's already thrown us. As a leader, how do you, knowing that you need to move the needle with the people you have to influence, and you may find yourself skeptical about your capacity to move the faculty or even to move your cabinets, how, are you, how do you deal with managing your own getting yourself ready to, to shift or cultivate a productive mood from an unproductive one? I'll let you decide who goes first on this one. Okay, I'll start. What do you um, do? What do you do, JJ? So first, I think you have to be centered, right? I mean, these are 24-7 jobs, and you yes. have to have a sense of well-being. Second is you have, to, you have to paint the picture. So whatever the new strategic item is, um, being able to explain why, um, why is it important, when will it happen, and yeah. how do you need people to come together to get it? It's not always easy to do, though. Never. Yeah. Never. never. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important for all of us to recognize that we do have to get ourselves up in that way. Any thoughts, Robert yeah, or Mike? I think it's, uh, you always have to keep the mission front and center, that yeah. we're all here to deliver a certain product. We're educating young people. We're developing uh, young leaders to help uh, be productive citizens in the world. I mean, that's fundamentally what we're doing. We're helping create knowledge. Um, and so any little thing that we're doing or any big thing that we're doing that requires uh, a resource or a sense of planning or a sense of management or a sense of program management has to be laid out in the context of what are we really trying to do? What's the yeah. big picture? If you lose that, then, then, then it's going to be hard to make people. Would you agree that if you show up in a mood of ambition, you can influence others? If you showed up in a mood of skepticism or res yes. resignation, Absolutely. that's going to affect others too. Right, Mike? Yeah, I think some of it is around self-awareness and taking care of yourself um, yeah. so that you're, you're positioned to do something positive. I mean, I can find myself you know, in, in, on the right side there. And and say, okay, I've got to take a step back. I've got to get somewhere else. I've got to go yeah. run. I've got to play with my dog. I've got to do something that no, no kidding. You know, gets, gets me recentered and in, 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 in a different place. I know you run daily, and I'm telling you, I'm sure that centers you. It puts mm -hmm. you. And I think this is something that we all need to be asking ourselves. What are the things that we're doing to get ourselves back to a place where we feel centered, where we can find ourselves in one of those productive moods? So, so keep aware, be aware, because you all showed up here with a mood about this topic, right? Some of you are resigned, some of you are ambitious, some of you are excited, you've got good stories. And what I'd invite you to do is to be conscious of how you show up around people will influence how they show up in their work. And it's a choice uh, that you'll make. So here's a statement I want to throw out to the panel. CBOs live in this tension point between short-term budgeting and long-term planning, right? There's a tension in that conversation all the time. And if we think about how we're gonna navigate strategic priorities, 
and we think about the pie. So this is a picture, and some of you might be hard to see, but basically it shows the different components of the pie of the entire enterprise, from the academic side, including support, student services, auxiliary institutions. Every one of you have a different thing you call it. You've got your divisions and departments that live in different areas, but this, for the most part, represents most public and private institution structure. And the conversation that's been around as long as I've been doing this work is, what are we gonna cut? And we're gonna cut for what purpose? Because we're trying to figure out what in the enterprise we want to invest in. We need to cut elements of our budget where it has less value so we can increase our capacity to grow those strategic initiatives. So my question to the two of you, and I think it's a perfect tie-in to the theme of the conference, is bridging challenges and opportunities. How are you dealing with this tension between the need to grow and wanting to make investments in the areas that, you, that your leadership believes we should grow, and knowing that there's a conversation and a mindset out there, what are you going to cut this time? Mike. What, 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 what is, how do you navigate that, that, that tension? Yeah, so I, I think the, the short-term budget is an exercise. It's like a checkoff. It's something that you have to do. Um, and, and your board expects it. You've got to go through process and everything. But try to get the conversation as best we can into you know, looking towards the future and saying, well, it's it's really representing a, a plan to fulfill the mission. Yeah. And fulfilling the mission is, I always say that, you know, those of us in administration are, on the, are not on the front line. We support the front line, uh, the people who are really supporting the mission, but that does take buildings and that does take IT and that does take all those, those things that, it, that you wanna, they wanna cut, try to cut yeah. first uh, in order to, to make the mission move but it's you know not just next year it's the year after that the year after that the year after that that we have to keep in mind and that's hard to do when you you have a process that you have to get done but you have to live frame. in both of these worlds that's right jj how are you navigating this so i think it's hard um so the i'll give you our attention is you know we're growing and yet we've had four years of cuts and we have a very ambitious strategic plan which needs investment so I think it starts with communication and collaboration. Um, I don't always know where the best cuts are. Those in the units, uh, in the colleges, and the administrative units often have to help us think through um, where are there ways that we can tighten our belt and cut. And then also trying to put um, energy, motivation, effort around sort of if we do the following things, invest in it, it will help us all. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I, it's hard. I mean, yeah. it's really, really we'll get hard. around that. So, you know, we live in a world where our aspirations don't match our resources. And that is a challenge that I wake up with every day. And I think this is the, the, the tension between these two things is the world I think we live in. And, and um, we, we are not in a situation right now where... You at Barnard, you mean? Me at Barnard at a small school yeah. where... We have a culture of, of selling reductions. I think uh, absent an exogenous crisis yeah. that allows us to say we're now going to do the following cuts, everything we have to do from a cutting perspective or a efficiency perspective has to be socialized and thought through. Yeah. And there's probably a year or 18-month lead time before you can really do anything to so get everyone sort yeah. of right with that. At the is same it, time... Let me ask you, is it worse than it used to be? Meaning, is it harder now because people have a fatigue factor in the, in the institutions around cuts, right? They're tired of hearing it. They want to hear what are you going to do, not what are you going to cut. So how do you deal with that sort of re resignation about here, here you go again? You, you, you have to lay out, and this, were, this is where you have to focus, I think, on the big picture. You yeah. have to lay out the fact that th there's, a, there's a, a shared understanding among, across the community, at least at Barnard, of where we ultimately want to get to. It's not... Yeah. We, don't, we don't agree on every single priority, but we know that we want to become something that's more evolved and that yes. there's going to have to be some trade-offs made at the front end. The question is, what are those trade-offs? And the other question is, are those trade-offs going to be enough to finance future, yeah. uh, future growth? And so you're, we're always looking at 
what are the revenue sources? What are the resource implications of decisions we're making now, five, 10 years from now? And so we may be talking about reductions or changes in various programs that may have absolutely no impact now, but they five go. years from now may have a big, right. a big budget impact. So yeah. it's a constant conversation. So, so let's open this up if there's any questions. Or, does anything come to mind for anybody? You're just gonna, in, at, throughout the day, I mean, it's early, and you're gonna do an exercise in a few <laughs> minutes at your table. Um, but is there any questions people have? That for, for the panel around this topic of the tension that people want to raise? Okay, I want to give you an opportunity. Raise your hand at any point. Um, Is anybody not experiencing tension? Right. I mean, maybe that's a, right? right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Is that possible? We want to know why. Or how. You raise a really interesting point about some of the, some of the things are going to get realized are going to be beyond your tenure. Yeah. And how do you commit and how do you get people to be motivated about something that they can't see come to fruition? This seems to me a fundamental challenge. Also, the fact that your presidents turn over so much, so you're always changing priorities. So we understand the problem. How do you motivate yourselves to say and motivate others to be able to say, you know what? We're not going to necessarily see the fruition of these things, but we're, we, we need to focus on these. Are you, what, what is, any one of you, how are you getting people to look beyond your tenure and, and their tenure into the real value? Because I think this is a missing piece that we're not being candid about with ourselves. So, I mean, I think it's, to some degree, from the financial perspective, it's all about financial sustainability, right? So the things that we yeah. do that are past our tenure are really to make sure the institution that we love and that we work for um, will be here um, for years and years to come. So it's grounded in the mission, right? Yes. I mean, we have—I mean, we have one of the coolest jobs ever, right? I mean, yeah, think about what our mission is um, that we work for. But it's also about um, saying, you know, what are the things, even if they're painful or hard, um, that will set this institution long after. But I'm but I got to tell you, what you just did, what she just did, we have one of the coolest jobs we could have. This is the most exciting time to be in education. <laughs> That is a different mindset than what we find ourselves on a day-to-day basis. How do, you, how do you maintain that? Is that just your personality? So I have to tell you I love coming here um, because I get to spend you know, three to five days with people who do what I do each day. Yeah. And it's really motivating and uplifting. Yeah. Um, and it gets me out of the sort of the day-to-day, here's the challenge, here's the challenge, oh, here's an opportunity. But these types of groups um, ground me and inspire me, and I learn. So, Mike, how do you keep that alive when you leave here? It's a matter of, you say mission. Mission matters. And grounding ourselves back in what, what higher education can do and has done uh, and can continue to do in our society. And that sounds, you know, that sounds really up here, but we really have to be up here. Yeah. You know, we really have to believe in what the contribution to uh, you know, the future generations, what the contribution to the, the research and the, and, the, and the health well-being of our, our constituents, our, our communities can be. And, and that coming back to that and saying, do you believe in that? And what are you going to do to sustain that yeah. in our great institutions and, and the contribution to higher education in general? I think that, that really works. Works for me. Great. I think uh, just bringing it down a little, uh, one notch, because I agree with everything that's been said, but you know, trying to create a culture in, in a finance business operation where people think budget is policy and policy is budget. Right. So we're not just the green eye shade mm -hmm. accountant mm -hmm. uh, paying vouchers or just doing a, a budget, that we're actually making policy. And, and that you can't make a policy without resources, and you can't have a thoughtful conversation about policy changes or priorities with any part of your community without understanding the implications of what that really means for the sustainability of the, of the enterprise. Nice. So, so you have to elevate the, the view of what you're trying to do. That Yes, we're a behind-the-scenes function, yeah. but we're an equal part of any kind of policy, any kind of priority setting that institutions are doing. And yeah. so that's how I think, I think you have to approach that notion that, yeah, we may not see ultimately the fruits of the labor, but this is really about the health and welfare of the, of the institution going forward. And this is 
what policy is, and it's a resource. So I've got a question, resources. just show of hands. Can people, do you feel the difference? Raise your hands. When, when Robert says what he just said, in terms of we have to elevate, it's about raising ourselves policy and how we're going to live this mission as opposed to getting the work done in the weeds. Can you see the difference? And, and, and what's demanded of us in terms of being willing to be that kind of person? So uh, th that's a great statement. When you think, relate back to that, really budgeting is a set of decisions on what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And the degree to which those are conscious decisions versus unconscious decisions yeah. is, is where you get to policy right. and where you get to moving forward That's in great. a strategic fashion. And too often we, are going, we go through the process and, and all the people who are part of the process and, and go through the motions and make the unconscious decisions or the easy ones or the default ones yes. as opposed to the ones that are grounded in strategic mm -hmm. direction or policy or, or otherwise. There's, a, there's language that I'm using more and it's sort of out in the world more and more is this idea of navigation. See, one of the things that we fall into is being problem solvers. But if you think about yourself as a navigator and navigating an uncertain and open future. See, if I just said navigating an uncertain future, that would put us in a certain kind of mood, right? The truth is we have, there's so much opportunity, right? And that's what I got when you said what you said, JJ that we have this open future. And, and as a navigator, there's a certain way we can think about it, right? That we have a compass to say, where are we trying to go? And this is to provoke the three of you into what we're going to do next, which is why we do what we do. Where do we see where we want to go? And ultimately, in this idea of when the you know, waters are calm or they're rocky, there are three things that I really believe we need to continue to embrace, which is, being clear about a destination, having the skills and sensibilities to get there, not being better problem solvers. Your problem solving skills, check mark, you got those, <laughs> right? I think we're too focused on problem solving and recognizing your job is constant course correction. Because what happens is the minute something goes wrong, we fall into mood of, all right, we got a problem now. No, that's the way it is. And, and I, I would imagine the people you're steering, you know, if you're the captain of your ship, taking you to a certain destination, you've got to remind people of this all the time. But I have to tell you, I've worked with lots of business officers, we fall into this mindset too of being problem solvers. Do you agree with me that this is a place where you have to remind yourself? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yes. so, Absolutely. so say something about that because I think we're all in that same boat of, of, of forgetting that we have to navigate versus problem solve. Yeah, so I, I guess I would say I have 14 direct reports. It's a billion-dollar budget. So um, challenges, problems, opportunities show up on my doorstep uh, faster than uh, on the hour. And so you can easily be consumed by the day-to-day -day operational issues. And so being able to pull back and, you know, navigate and think about the longer horizon yes. is, um, is it's hard. Um, you know, what, I look why at my, is it hard? Well, so my schedule gets consumed with the issue or the meeting next, right? Um, so I have to actually force myself to pull up yes. and give mm -hmm. myself an hour to think time. How many of you have like eight meetings on your schedule a day? Okay, many of you are better than me. Okay, clearly. <laughs> but it, I mean, you know, you can be consumed by the sheer operational yes. issues and solving the problem. of. That's right. That's right. So, so how do you lift yourself out of being a problem solver as opposed to steering the ship and, and focusing on an outcome and know that we're always going to make constant course correction. There's no good way to do it. I mean, I don't think we've cracked the code and how to do that. I think it gets back to your original question about the short term being the enemy of the long term. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think this is going to sound bureaucratic, but I, running a good process, I think, put, helps put bigger questions into a... Um, into focus in terms of how you work through those decisions. Okay. And so I'm a big believer in, you know, good process, you know, yields good outcomes or can yield good outcomes. But yes. to me, putting people through regularized paces and, and requiring a certain rigor of analysis and requiring uh, people like me and people in my team to ask the bigger questions yeah. helps create room for that while everyone else is putting up brush fire. Right. Which is really what we're doing every yeah. single day. Yeah. If you're not lifting yourself out of that conversation, you're doing mm -hmm. nobody a service. 
right? And we need, to, we need to really be willing to delegate and let things go wrong. I think the reason why we are problem solvers and attached to it is because we don't want things to go wrong. And I understand the big things can't go wrong, but this is where I think we get stuck, Mike, is that we find ourselves really trying to control and make sure everything goes right as opposed to allowing things to go off course and then teaching our teams how to course correct. Yeah, I think that this metaphor works nicely. Um, and, and usually we are not setting the destination, mm. uh, the academic leadership. But, that, but that's the role of the captain and the first officer and that kind of thing. We're the navigator. We're the ones that are supposed to bring the process and skills and thinking together and recognize that you, know, it, you, don't, you don't just necessarily go a straight line from A to B because if there's a storm there, you may have to go out here before you Great. come back in. That's, that's what we can help do. Um, and, and we can do that by um, you know, keeping an eye on what's coming forward and looking at options and saying, we've got ideas and we've got something to contribute to, to getting to the destination. Uh, but it is hard. I mean, it is hard and all that. And, and I do think that uh, we, we get stuck and we need opportunities like this to be yeah. with our people and think higher, yeah. you know, for, even if it's for a day or a few hours so that you can come back and say, nope, nope, it's not about that one stupid thing. It's about the big picture that we're, we're heading towards. So, so, you know, this is a learning for all of us. So I'm just going to point something out. I think we do say this a lot. We do speak, it is hard. The thing we need to add to that, because if Mike, because I've seen him with his staff, and, it, and he reminds himself when he sees his staff, it is hard and we can do it. I'm telling you, we need to find a way to language. We can do it. Because if we, if we assume that people know that, they're left with it is hard, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I've, seen you, I've seen you so many times inspire your team in that way, but it's really easy to forget that we can't end with it's hard. Because then that's what they walk away with. Okay, then maybe we can't do it. So just something for us all to be aware of. Our language matters, right, and how we, how we use language. So let's bring this back to budgeting. This is a, uh, this is a uh, model that I have uh, developed. It came from a meeting effectiveness model, and then it went to a uh, decision-making model. And I use this in a workshop. And there's three big pieces here. And we're going to use this to talk about our vision. There's the big why. I'm not going to go through this whole thing. I'm really going to focus on this one thing here, this vision. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to go right to that slide now. The third bu bubble says, defining success is having achieved it. And this came about when I was working with the College of Holy Cross, and they created this magazine from 2051. 2051. Right? 30 years in the future. In 2013, they created this fictitious New York Times Magazine article, and it was for 2020. This woman in the front was a graduate of the 2020 class. The three people behind her went to school with her in 2020, and the magazine was all about what did Holy Cross need to be in 2020 to produce a student of this caliber. You open the page, there was a black man in a robe, right? And... It's the president of Holy Cross. There are no black Jesuit presidents in this country of the 28 Jesuit schools. A fictitious article about diversity, interviewing him. Turn the page, you see a revitalized campus. What this did is it shifted the mindset of the trustees because they actually gave this to each trustee to say, here's our vision. And from that, I developed this, this way of thinking about de defining success as having achieved it. <clears throat> so, here's my question to the three of you. It's 2025. All right, you close your eyes. It's 2025. <laughs> you are walking your campus with the editor of the Wall Street Journal, and he, because it has become known around the country that you have the most transformed budget and planning process of any institution, and they want to learn what is it that showed up here. What exists, what's in place that you are just so out of the top thrilled? This is not what they see, this is what's produced, this is what's present. Ready, JJ? No. 
She is ready. Take your time okay. so I can think. What do you say? Now, again, here, here, and by the way, you're going to do this in a minute at your seats with, part, with, with partners. So just listen. This is not about getting it right. This is about suspending the forward thinking why we can't do things and saying where we want to find ourselves, right? You have this vision. We just don't take time to think of it. It could be one or two things. What do you see? What's present? So for me, it's seamless movement of students from in class to online with no disruption of students that can seamlessly move through courses and offices, and then continuing no disparity of outcomes, right? So still being accessible yeah. to an ever-growing number of students, Beautiful. whether they're... And so then they're meeting with your budget and planning team. Right, and they, and they can pull up data analytics seamlessly mm-hmm. yes. that are both macro and micro. Nice. Right? <sighs> right? Right. See, right. that gets you excited. Oh, crazy excited. Crazy excited. Mike, what do you see? I see that we, we're walking along and we see an institution that has, has figured out how to you know, adjust to the different ways that people learn, the different ways that people teach, the different ways that we advance um, our graduates' ability to contribute. Um, And the budget process is a way that we make that work. It doesn't get in the way. It, in fact, promotes the way for that to happen. Beautiful. Robert. Um, All those things. you know, to me in 2025, we would have a, a rigorous, seamless, long-term budget planning process where the, all aspects of our community uh, agree on... Can I stop you? Yes. We will not... We, it's not we will have. This is we what we have. have. Right. All right? This is present tense. Okay. All right? So what, what, what's present? We, ha- we have a good long-term planning process where we understand the implications of all of our decisions going forward with a community that is rallied around a shared sense of priorities and a willingness to talk about a shared sense of trade-offs and a transparent process that allows us to adjust when needed. Do you see the difference in what shows up when people come from this place? Your mood's different. Your energy's different. And I'm inspired to follow you. The problems you're dealing with, I don't want to even go there. I actually want to look away from those problems. But I'm inspired. And, and, and let me ask the three of you and be honest. Is there relevancy in, in articulating what you just did? So absolutely, right? Because all of the things we're doing are to bring us into that incredible strategic plan, that future state. But but why is it important for you to put language around that and speak it? I think it's important that we get credibility as partners to move the mission forward. Your presidents cannot do what you just did. Mike, right? Mm -hmm. Your presidents and chancellors cannot speak what you just spoke. They don't know that. As a matter of fact, they're also not trained to... I mean, actually, they are trained to talk about an envisioned future, but then they go, you guys figure it out, Right? They expect you to figure out, and then you're caught in the weeds. This is what's going to inspire your teams to rally. You have to be aspirational, and then it, it then points out what you've got to fix to get there. That's right. Because so. with this inspired future, then you can go to your team of, this is our vision. How are we going to get there? Please, hold on. Let me give you a mic. Is this mic working? Good. I'm looking at your slide. The why and the what, I think most of us get. There you go. It's the how. I mean, <laughs> well, I, mean, I can give you the why and the what, but I. Yeah, but I, I, I agree with you, Ken, that you can give it to us, but people are, you, the people that report to you, you can't do it alone. You need to, you, you need to have them be in the conversation. Like, here's why we're going, here's why we're focusing on this. This is our vision as we're at, in terms of where we have success. I agree with you. We can get stuck in the how, and there's ways we can do it. But what's your point about the how? Use the mic. JJ, 
I'm listening to JJ and, 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 and Roger, and I can see that, you know, that nice paved lawn, the nice building. <laughs> I mean, all of that, I, I can see, visualize all of that. Yeah. My challenge, my struggle is how do I get us there yeah. with all the other factors that come into play, enrollment, budget situation, politics of, you know, what, depending on what state you're in. So those are the things, you know, as my, my controller would say, the noise yeah. that's out there. Well, uh, so, so what I would say to you is I think what we have to do is recognize we need to have patience and urgency in this, right? You're not going to solve this. What you're going to do is you're going to navigate this. You see, I think this is what I'm trying to say about the navigation. You, this is something that you're going to have to figure out how you're going to engage others in and trust that you're going to move the needle on this out of your inspiration, not out of your problem-solving skills. Right? But you're right. We're, we do get stuck in, in, in the how. Well, that's a different role for us. What do you mean? What? That's a different than the traditional role. What's, what's the traditional role? The traditional role is the, the green-eyed shade, get the it done. Bean counter? Bean yeah. counter, as opposed to strategic partner or enabler or navigator. Yeah. That, that can assist the academic leadership and the faculty to get to the... What's the implication, Mike, if you don't make this transition? If we uh, don't make that transition... Mediocrity. Trans yeah. Muddling through. Maybe even not, not sustaining relevant. whatever. Yeah. yeah, not relevant. And, and loss of relevancy. Bad surprises. Someone Which is does gonna something to us. Are there good surprises? There are no good surprises. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, bad there's a good surprise. We can yes. hope. We can hope. <laughs> I think that mindset knows good I mean, actually, you want the wonder yeah. un unexpected to show up. Yeah. You don't want, but I think that what you're pointing to is you're going to be the recipient of financial bad news, and you're always on guard for that. And, mm -hmm. and that, that's a place where we come from a place of fear. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Partner up. It's 2025. Paint a picture for yourself. Put yourself back in your institution right now. You know, two, two minutes each. And describe what's in place. It, your partner, if you hear them talking future tense, this is what we will do. Stop them and say, no, this is what's in place. So, so actually just practice for a couple minutes the, the language of living in the vision and then after two minutes, I'll, I'll tell you when to switch, and then do it, and then we'll talk about it for a minute. All right? Go ahead and do that. Who can whistle here? I, can, I need a whistler. Yeah, there's Ooh. my man. <laughs> there's my man. Nice. I, I, you did that once before for me. All right. Um, raise your hand if, if you found yourself in, in a, an inspired place by either listening or doing this. Okay, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you see relevance in doing this and developing this skill set in yourself. Great. Would anyone like to share sort of like what it was like to listen to somebody? Anything people want to say? This is a big group, I know. But we need, see, we need one person who's courageous enough to be first, and then everybody else will be willing to speak. <laughs> it's the no one wants to go first. Thank you. Uh, Paul Frigga, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, a former strategy consultant turned academic. Uh, so I love this discussion. Uh, what, what do you love about it? it it's, it's on the right topic. It, it's, it's not just, it's positive. It's future oriented. It, it's about um, moving universities in, in the right way nice. and, um, and changing. So how were you moved by what you did with your partner? Um, it, it was interesting because both of us had a common theme. Um, uh, 8,000 students, 6,000 and 30,000. But I led with a future at UNC Chapel Hill where we're going to go from 5% online students to about 25% online students. And the current residential students have a, a yeah. seamless integration and a great experience that's student-focused. Yes. Um, you picked up on the same theme and uh, even more dramatic change. Uh, but then you added the fact that this is accomplished by breaking down silos across campus, both between academic departments and between, this give me goosebumps on my arm right now, between, that, that's what, I, I mean, between the academic units, but also between administration and Beautiful. academics. And what pulls them together is a future state where yes. we're all better off. And, 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 and when, you, when you assemble there and then work backwards, that energy can carry you through. Beautiful. Thank you very much for that. 
I want to make a point about what he just did. He made a declaration. See, we're often not make our presidents make declarations, right? We need to make declarations. We're going to go from 5% to 25%. There was power in that statement. That people hear that and actually want to follow that. We need to be willing to make more declarations. One more. Who would else like to share? Please. Howard, I... Is this on? Yes. Okay. Um, Howard, uh, we were both excited and uh, kind of relieved to have been removed from the day-to-day issues that we have to face every day. Yeah. Um, and inspired when we were talking about what's going to happen, what we will have in the future. Yeah. Um, and it, it was actually fun as opposed to stressful, what, <laughs> uh, you know, what the normal day-to-day can be. Yeah. Thank you for that. And what I'm going to really... What I'm going to encourage you to do, see, it's easy to do this here. We're in a bubble of a conference where we're drinking and eating and having a great time. And then we're going to go back to work and we're going to lose this. Bring this back to your institution. Fun, engaging, future-oriented, and positive, right? Those four things get lost pretty quickly, right? And you can bring these just by inviting your team to be in this conference. Do this with your teams. Have a conversation with your teams to just do this exercise. All right, very nice. JJ, we talked about the tension between the budget and the pie and long-term financial planning. What is one leadership skill that you are working on in yourself that you believe is gonna really help you manage this uh, and, and, and be the kind of impactful leader that I believe you already are, but we're always working on stuff. So what are you working on? So I would say for me it's listening more and asking questions of my team to help them solve the problem versus the problems everyone wants me to solve. Does that make sense? Very much. Okay. Thank you. Mike, what are you working on? I'm working on trying to keep the long-term view, even though we are having to deal with uh, the immediate. But also to remind myself that some of the things we put into the immediate are steps towards that, making that longer-term view work. So when you say you're working on, uh, what does that mean? That means I'm trying to get my head in the right place when it when it. When my mood changes. Yes, <laughs> right. And getting in, into an area where uh, I'm focusing too much on the micro and forgetting the macro, yeah. forgetting the longer term. I mean, it, you know, there's 50 competencies we can focus on, but you can't focus on all 50. The fact that you put listening front and center, the fact that you focused on reminding yourself, this is an important thing to take back from this. It's like, all right, I'm going to spend, I'm going to work the next month on really focusing on my listening, right? These are things we can't lose. Otherwise, six months, there's going to be no change in how we're working with our teams. What about yourself, Robert? I think the one thing that I'm always working on is how to effectively communicate Mm -hmm. so that we bring the community along with whatever we're trying to do, both good and bad. This helps socialize difficult messages and helps generate support for other kinds of things. But I think... You know, I think we're all good communicators. I think we all have to be good communicators, everyone in this room. But I think cracking the code on how you effectively manage the, the message with students, with faculty, with other administrators, with, with alums, with trustees, is a, is a, constant, yeah. is a constant effort. And, and what I would say to you about communication is it's that it's future-oriented, right? That it's, that it's focusing on making declarations, like what you did in the back making clear requests, making promises. There are certain speech acts that move things in the future. And uh, so that to me is a foundation around communication that we're always all working on, which is great. And I think for each one of you to be thinking yourselves, what is the one thing, there's 10 things, but what is one thing that I could be working on from a leadership perspective to develop in myself and then to invest yourself? There's, you could learn, there's, so much stuff online now. You can watch videos. I can't tell you how much I am learning from just going online and doing research that way versus having to sign up for a program. You really can invest in your own education, which in many ways, this is, 
This is a threat to our institutions, by the way, because <laughs> the knowledge is all out there. Different subject matter altogether. So we live in a collaborative uh, governance, high governance model that I want to read a quote to you that, uh, that really sort of de uh, depicts the, the dilemma. And I'm going to ask the panel to speak to how they're dealing with this. This is uh, when in 2002, Linda McMillan was the provost of of Susquehanna University, and she spoke at a conference, and she said the following. Faculty and administrators in most universities come together daily to accomplish a variety of tasks. However, we often do not perceive ourselves to be collaborators. Frequently, we encounter each other as adversaries, bound to represent our distinctive groups and monitor the behavior of the other side. Monitor the behavior of the other side. Thus, we focus on negotiating compromises rather than on collaborating to create the most effective solutions for the future. And I took that and said, well, let's, let's think about these three groups, right? Academy, we talk about collegiality. Now, what does that actually mean? What that means is there, the, the conversation is the point, right? Which makes you laugh, which makes you frustrated. They want to talk more about things. Now, they, and they don't just do this to, to avoid. They actually have been trained through their discipline to really talk, and they can get to a better place, while you are focused on getting things done, right? A managerial mindset, and then your trustees, public or private, if, especially if they come from corporations, they're directive. And they're looking to you and their president, just get it done, right? A discipline focus, I'm the chair of the history department. What are you doing for me in history? For the administration, you have an institutional perspective, while the trustees have a often a top-down perspective, right? Micro-focus, macro-focus, and top-down. But here's where it gets interesting and where I think we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this. The academy has power over whether they are going to cooperate. Nobody can make them do anything. The provost can't make them do anything. Their chairs can't make them, right? And they know that. You know it. That's the way it is, by the way. You can fight it, but that's just the way it is. Administration has power over resources, and the trustees have power over leadership. So this is the nature, if you look across here, this is why, at best, we have cooperation. I'll give you cooperation finance people, if you give me resources, and the president and chancellors are saying, or the trustees are telling their presidents, keep the peace. I don't want anything to show up in the chronicle, <laughs> right? I want everything to be smooth. I want the faculty to be happy. And by the way, I want you to move the needle on the online education. You know, I want to get us to 50% online. And you're stuck in the middle to manage this. So the question is, in what way is this dynamic that plays out, you know, think about these as aisles, and we talk about silos. I like to think about building bridges, and the question is, how do we build these bridges? But in what way is the dynamic that plays out in these roles relevant to thinking about this reimagined budget and planning uh, process? And, and more importantly, what are you doing about it, right? So what I want to hear now is, in what way are you being courageous to deal with having to speak truth to power, having to say things to your boss where it's bad news, having to tell a faculty member, I need your partnership, and I'm not getting it, right? That's not easy to do. So I'm not going to start with, I always start with you, JJ. I'm going to start with Robert. Robert, Great. what are you doing about this? Well, it's a, it's a constant um, effort. Because I think you've laid it out perfectly here, what the checks and balances are we have in all of our institutions. I think, you know, I'll go back to what I just said. I think a lot of it is communication. A lot of it is, is uh, explaining what you're doing and explaining the context that we're in. What are the challenges? What are the possible solutions? What are the options? What are the trade-offs? Um, and in terms of the power over cooperation with the, with the faculty, which I think is something we all deal with, you know, what, what I have found that works for me is I've just accepted it. Yeah. I don't try to fight it. 
I understand what the dynamic is. Uh, I know that I'm going to lose a lot of the arguments if I, if I, if I make them. Well, how I, does your faculty see you, you think, honestly? They think I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because uh, because I worked at it. No, I think they see me. Drop as, the mic. Right, drop the mic. Nice. I, I think they see me as um, you know clearly someone that has power over resources. But but I've tried, and this is a daily effort. Yeah. To to engage them in the conversation, and you know you hear a, a lot about transparency in our you know in our work. You know they want to feel that they know what's going on, they want to feel like they, they have a say in what's going on, even if they don't. Um, and so creating that sort of space um, in our conversations to say, this is what we're doing, this is what's coming down the road, which is why I said earlier, you need a lead time. To sort of manage this dynamic, you can't just, every time we've sprung something on the community, it has failed. Mm. So you need to sort of think a year ahead or, or, or a lead time ahead if you're going to change benefits, if you're going to change yeah. benefit carriers, if you're going to change you know, something in the mix that affects their view of how the administration is supporting the mission, it needs to be thought through, brought in, communicated, discussed. And then ultimately, you can have that bad conversation say, you know, we're doing this. It's going to have this impact. These are the people who are going to be hurt. These are the people who are going to be helped. But at least everyone understands, like, okay, got it. Yeah. Thank you. Mike. That was brilliant. <laughs> I think picking up on that, the, the communication, the way we communicate is, is a challenge. You know, we communicate in a language and at a detail that is not relevant to the, the folks in the, the faculty, uh, or for that matter, the trustees, that is necessarily the right, right. thing. And, and I go back to what Dr. Howard said yesterday about those three matters. You said courage. Uh, accountability is critical. Do they feel that, can they perceive that I am accountable? And the empathy. Do I have empathy for what they're dealing with? I have a case right now with a d distinguished faculty member who's really you know, throwing, throwing rocks at me about a uh, systems project. And, and recognizing that the fundamental issue is not the system, the fundamental issue is not the change, the fundamental issue is that she doesn't know how to get her work done anymore. So do I have sufficient empathy to say, how do we fix that yeah. piece? Because then we can build a bridge. You know, what I'd simplify that, this is about showing care. That's what, that, that is gonna move the needle to lower the defensiveness, the adversarialness, because I, I tell you, we, we, we talk badly amongst, behind closed doors about our faculty, and they talk badly about you. And it has to do with a lack of relationship, a lack of care. It's about showing up on their door, can I take you to lunch? I've, I've, had, I've had chief business officers transform the relationship by just going and inviting a faculty member to lunch, and and they said to the, the the business officer said that the faculty member said in my 20 years here, nobody from your office has ever done this. It's like thank you, and there was a whole different opening for 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 a relationship and a conversation about what we want to accomplish. I know you put in place something that is moving the needle. Yeah. So. Um Really quickly, um, when we embarked on a new budget process, you know, we had a lot of conversations with the associate deans, one who's here today, and the deans. And what we found was um, faculty felt that their world was changing and they couldn't articulate what it meant to them. So I um, designed a kitchen cabinet of faculty members, and I meet with them monthly. And um, they're invaluable to me because um, while you're trying to So put who's on the cabinet? So I have a series of tenured faculty across the institution from every college. And some rotate on and off as their time permits. And then uh, some have like, come up and said, I want to volunteer to be on your group. So the president's presidential fellow is now also on. And it's invaluable to me, because sometimes when we're working in our day jobs, we lose sight of what their job is really like. Mm -hmm. And invariably, sometimes they make their jobs harder. 
Um, and sometimes uh, I don't even realize I'm making their job harder, right? Yeah. New requirements, new compliance mm -hmm. items. And so it really has put a level, I would say, of empathy and understanding to bridge that divide. Um, what, why am I here and what am I attempting to do? And no, I don't spend my nights and days trying to make your job harder, yeah. right? So that just, let's put that what, aside. What caused you to realize to do this? Did you have an epiphany? What happened? You know, it's interesting. Um, so I had several faculty members who were um, uh, flamethrowers. Uh, and I was sitting in monthly faculty senate meetings getting bombed. And um, it just, it wasn't working. And so I did exactly that. I invited several of them to lunch and said, okay, like we're all people and we all want to be at this institution for the right reasons, so we've got to find a better way. And I you, ask, buy, you continue to buy them lunch. And I buy them lunch. See I that? do. I pay for it personally right and I buy them lunch. And you know what? No one had ever bought them lunch. There you go. Wow. Yeah, and I asked Mike one and Robert, and, and the, you know, the formal, you guys don't have this. How many of you, uh, how many of you have what JJ described? You've created a kitchen cabinet of faculty members. Raise your hands. All right? So you can see the opportunity. And what she's saying is it's, it's making worth a it. difference. It's absolutely worth it. It's every day. So I have a core of faculty who give me the benefit of the doubt, who are champions. I mean, I can give you three of their names, and you can call them. And they actually will, as opposed to just throwing flames, will say, wait a minute. I know what she's working on. It's not all bad. We have to change our mindset to, to stop thinking about that as the adversary and be willing to reach out with an olive branch and say, I want to be your partner. It, it's a powerful, man, if you take nothing away from this but go back and create this, you could transform those aisles and break down some of those aisles. It's fantastic. So we're going to move to sort of the an intentional kind of wrap-up. You know, we started with this idea of thinking about the tension between cutting and growing, the idea of navigation, the envisioned future, one key leadership competency that you're working on. And what's nice about that doing the one, by the way, it's memorable, right? I remember what the each, each of you said. And then finally enter, ending on this idea of... Um, of building relationship across the aisles so that you can better achieve the outcomes you have. So before we give you a chance to reflect at your table what you got, we have a few minutes uh, for questions. So this is your chance to, to throw things at them unexpectedly. Who would like to ask a question? <laughs> right over here. Thank you. Here's a mic. Yeah, please stand up. Say your name and where you, where you are from. I'm Sasha Hudson. I'm from... Um, so my question is, we all have our own structures of Do you think we use that in structure? Bring the mic up. It's hard to hear you. Do you think we can use shared governance to build these collaborations in a different way? It doesn't seem to actually do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. A certain kind of rightful resignation that we have to live with this, and this is the reason why we can't achieve what we need to achieve. You're basically saying, can we use this to our benefit? So I think so. Um, our structures, you know, our trustees are all gubernatorial appointees. They serve four or eight years. So in our institution, we're turning a quarter of our board a year. And I mean, I can cry about that or I can embrace that. And so I guess I, I look at it as, okay, it's my opportunity to ground new board members and try to get something new from them to help the institution. I would say the first three years, I was like, oh, right, wait, I just trained you, and out you go. But um, no, I do think you just, it's, it's your framing. Yeah. How you frame it. Thank you. Aaron, please. So um, as many of you know, I used to be at UC Berkeley, and we had a similar um, little cabinet like JJ did. What was interesting is as it became more successful, the faculty came and said they wanted it part of the shared governance and they wanted it to be a formal committee, which I'll say that sitting in JJ's seat, I was like, fine, right? That just means it'll be easier to attract. But it was interesting at the cabinet level that there were different feelings on that, but I thought it was success, right? Because it was a good input. And then after doing it for about four years, they wrote it into the, the formal shared governance. Very nice. Who else? Questions Can I just or comments? make a comment on the... Please. Because we don't use a, a cabinet 
or at least I don't use a cabinet, but we're small enough where, you know, there are budget committees of the faculty that I sit on that are more formal, but then there's the faculty meetings, there's the group of faculty that we sort of always go to to kind of take the temperature of. So you show so, up So we, we do, I think, what, what Jay just talked about informally, and so I don't know if there's a single model, but, yes. but I think the outcome is the yeah. same, which is you have to engage the faculty, you need allies, you need people who, you need influencers yeah. on the faculty, and you need influencers on the board. So that when you're doing something that might be difficult or controversial or, or something that might be you know, somewhat um, you know, that's difficult, you at least have people out there who are also understand what you're doing and are, are, uh, are amplifying the message to that community that, that's inherently skeptical. It's fundamentally building relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it, it comes back to that communication and transparency mm -hmm. that you referred to earlier. Um, that, and, and the shared governance mechanisms are, are a vehicle for that. Um, we, we have a university senate as opposed to a faculty senate, so it's got uh, staff and faculty and, and alums and, and administrators on it. And its committees, it has a budget and finance committee that... Um, there, there used to be a great deal of tension between my budget group and, and that one. And with a new VP coming in to that role, she was able to start a different dialogue with that group. And, yeah. and now it's not so much this as in, how, what do you want to know? Yeah. You know, there's not a black box. What do you want to know? Um, and, and that's starting to work, starting if, to help. So if you can do that in existing structures, good for you, right? What JJ's offering as an alternative, which is unusual, is to create your own ad hoc group, coalition, cohort, to move something forward. You don't have to wait for a committee to get formed for you to figure out how to do this. I mean, that's the invitation I think you're saying. And there's existing structures that you can work with it. So here's what we want you to do. Uh, this is not what you got out of the session. This is gonna be a slightly different question. What's one thing you're going to do when you go back to your institution differently as a result of what you've heard up here and engaged, right? I want you to walk back with one thing you're going to do as a result of being in this session. Get a partner, have that conversation for two minutes. We'll take some ideas and then wrap up. All right, here we go. Someone take this mic. Come on, because you all talked. You said something. Would you be willing to say what you said to your partner? Would you be willing to? By the way, when you're done, you give the mic to somebody else, okay? Ooh, you can pick anybody. So <laughs> what's one thing you'll take back and do differently as a result of being here today? Is the mic on? Mike's, the other mic's not working. Is it on? So working? Yep. Now it is. Yeah. Okay. There you go. So I just said that I would make more of an effort to go out and talk to faculty, um, whether it be in an informal setting or I have a kind of core group that I've worked with of really setting up a time to talk with them more. Excellent. Give the mic to somebody else. Someone here, take the mic. Don't, don't keep me standing here. Come on. Everyone's looking away from me. Why come no one's making eye contact? One thing you're going to do differently, you'll even stand up. Would you be willing to share? She's looking at me, she's staring at me like she hates me now. <laughs> Thank you. So give that mic to somebody else that's just smiling. I'm going to get four or five of these. What's one thing you're going to do differently over here? One thing I'm going to do differently is actually take that graph that has the structural differences to the left there, and I'm going to explain it to my folks. I hired an all-new staff that has have never really worked in higher ed, and they just don't understand why we can't fight back. And it's not about fighting back; just own it. And so I think I'm going to take that graph, explain this is how it is, and then try to encourage them to think of two or three ways they can work within the system to be productive. Beautiful. Give the mic to somebody else. Who who has the mic over there? Go ahead. Uh, for me, basically, you know, what I'm taking, you know, from this meeting is going back to do more of communication, you know, communicating with um, program directors, you know, in terms of, you know, budgets, you know, processes, you know, and, um, yeah, you Thank know, more you. of communications. Beautiful. Over here?
I'm going to take back the um, exercise that we did and uh, ask my staff to do it to envision where we are in 2025. Awesome. Over here, we'll do two more. Give the mic to one more person over there. Go ahead. Well, I was also going to say that I like the visioning concept. Although 2025 might be the vision for my retirement party, too. But. <laughs> so at my retirement party, I'll be talking about <laughs> Very nice. All right. Last one over here. Give it to a friend who can't say no to you. There you go. So um, I'm going to just piggyback on what JJ said about listening. I think that that's probably an important reminder for all of us. We can all be better listeners, and particularly mm -hmm. with faculty. I told a story. I went to our music school, and I just got bl blasted about our bookstore. Meantime, the bookstore manager is telling me that the faculty aren't getting their orders in. So, um, And even the music school dean said, I didn't know they felt this way. So... It, you can't solve a problem if you don't know it exists. Um, I would just ask that they listen in return, but maybe that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> do what you can do to inspire them. One can always You care, hope. you'll make them care. So here's the question for the three of you. What's one thing you're going to do differently, Robert? Um, what do you, or, or one thing you're going to do more, something that came out of today that you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm inspired now to take this to another level. Well, I think I am inspired by the vision. You are. I think uh, we... We think we do it implicitly, but I think we need to do it explicitly. There you go. Mike. Yeah, uh, that plus uh, taking some faculty to lunch and, and yeah. really trying to uh, develop some more personal relationships with, with some key faculty. It's all about the vision, so take, take the entire senior team through the vision. So listen, let's thank this incredible panel for what they did here.